Section 2 I was moved to a special care unit, the kind of place where a guard stood in front of my door. There were rumors that I was supposed to be airlifted to some top-secret, sealed military base, but considering the fragile state of my brain, the higher-ups eventually agreed to shift the experiment to the hospital I was in. Naturally, all hospital personnel were put on high alert. My eyesight was failing rapidly. The beautiful Lida blurred into a mass of pixelated blocks. Tirelessly, she massaged my body, as though through such effort she could slow down the decay of my consciousness, even though they seemed to have little effect. The officer, whose name was Wu, tried everything to persuade Lida to sign the agreement. He explained to her why they couldn't conduct surgery right away. If the blood clots in my brain were removed now, it was very possible that my neural connections would collapse during the process of melding, just like those of the three victims before me, and I would turn into a vegetable ahead of schedule. Thus, the craniotomy could be performed only after I had completed my mission, before cranial pressure had reached the absolute limit. Why must he complete this mission? Lida asked, almost naively. Lady, we're not a charity, and your husband is not... He had the grace to swallow the second half of his sentence. I stared at Lida, hoping to inscribe every pixel into the folds of my failing brain. I stared so hard that my eyelids began to twitch, and tears spilled out in a torrent. She signed. Officer Wu hadn't told her that it was very likely that I would lose neural functions during the mission, resulting in cognitive impairment and rapid loss of memory. Early onset Alzheimer's, in other words. If that were to happen, she would get a sum of money in addition to the insurance as compensation. I thought it best that she not know about these additional terms to the agreement. I thought I was a selfish person. My body was being moved, and light swept across my eyelids. Someone squeezed my hand, the nails digging into my flesh, as though trying to plant themselves into me. I knew it was Lida. Several men forcefully pulled her away, and her nails scraped across my skin, leaving behind a long trail of pain. I could still feel pain. The pain was perhaps the last thread connecting her to me in this world. The door shut. Injection, intubation, electrodes, helmet, countdown. I began to float. Like an antenna that had finally been pointed in the right direction, all my senses became sharper than they had ever been. I gazed at my naked body and the sealed metal box lying next to me. This is not real. The out-of-body experience was nothing but an illusion produced by the brain. I was still in my body, waiting for this absurd experiment to begin. For a moment, I had the thought of struggling to free myself to go find Lida. But then a strong sucking force grabbed me, and I shrank rapidly. Through the many layers in the walls of the metal box, I saw it. So fragile, so small, like a pile of white ash that had casually solidified into a shape. It was impossible to tell which end was the head, which end the cloaca. I entered it. The world I knew disappeared forever. Human language could not describe my condition. I couldn't see, but it wasn't dark. I couldn't hear, but it wasn't silent. Other than touch, all my senses seemed to have been stripped away. An overwhelming flood of terror dashed against my reason. I began to understand how the other three people lost their minds. 
Everything was unformed chaos, and my perceptions were unfamiliar, but powerful, even more rich and sensitive than when I had my senses. But I couldn't tell what any of it meant. All links between sensation and meaning had been broken, and all that was left was raw stimulation. After the initial rush of hysteria, my terror gradually receded. Maybe this was the gift of my broken brain. I began to understand. This was the world that it experienced. It started moving. A sense of physicality dominated my consciousness, and a warm current marked the direction I was proceeding in. The underside of my body transmitted a feeling of friction against tiny particles, and I could even detect delicate lines and tiny tremors in the ground beneath me. Even though it was only the sense of touch, the many fine layers of distinct perceptions within seemed to be as rich as the five senses I had possessed as a human. I could feel our two consciousnesses slowly butting against each other, docking, merging. The process moved along much quicker than I had expected. And now I could use my quavering cilia to make sense of my surroundings. But I could not make sense of how the parts of its body corresponded to my own. I had no limbs, no chest or back no head, and no spine, only a kind of fuzzy sense of the body as a whole. What remained of my human consciousness told me that I was among the rocky formations below the seafloor, under more than ten kilometers of water. There was no light or air, and food probably meant only anaerobic, thermophilic microorganisms. The mind meld allowed me to withstand the extreme pressure. But mere existence, by itself, did not evince any culture or intelligence. It simply was. It moved forward. I detected that it was following a shallow, wide, directed groove. Every so often other grooves branched out from the one it followed. At these intersections, the ground had tiny bumps of different heights, and it would pick a direction and continue forward. I hypothesized that this was a system of roads. It was consciously choosing a destination. But as for where it was going, whether it could sense my existence and how we had gotten from the operating room to here, I had no idea. It arrived at a slightly more open area. A part of its body extended and rubbed against a stick-shaped object. I could sense vibrations passing from it into our body, carrying with them a feeling of pleasure. I guessed it was eating. Our cilia sensed another body nearby moving closer. The two bodies pressed against each other at a certain point, like two hands clasping each other. The connecting surfaces were covered with complex wrinkles. Thereafter came a feeling of familiarity. I guessed that they must know each other. Perhaps the patterns of wrinkles were like names. They seemed to be conversing. Patterns of bumps and grooves emerged on the touching surfaces and quickly faded like a tide repeatedly washing away sandcastles that spontaneously grew on the shore. After an intensive exchange, both calmed down. And then I felt worry. The body I was in transmitting waves of deep anxiety. The scientists were right, and they were also wrong. My senses were melded with its, and we shared the most basic stimuli and reaction at the level of the cerebral cortex. Even ripples of certain emotions if the topology of the neural activities could be matched. But I couldn't understand any abstract concepts. I couldn't experience any thoughts that transcended the senses. I had no access to philosophy, 
to religion, to morality, only perceiving the superficial appearance of the world. I was like a ghost attached to a body, floating in this incomprehensible world. Even worse, my human consciousness was gradually fading. I didn't have much time. Memory was the last straw I had to grasp at before I forgot Lida. Lida and I were not a blessed pair. We met for the first time, briefly, when I was five. In the hallway of a pediatric hospital, as our mothers approached from opposite ends, dragging us along, we passed each other. I remember the faint smell of milk, quickly disappearing under the pungent odor of disinfectant. I remember the eggshell-colored walls lit by early morning sunlight. I remember her chestnut hair and pale skin. I remember my faith that we would meet again, someday. That day, the doctor told my mother that due to a genetic defect, I had an 83.17% chance of eventually developing Alzheimer's. Back then I knew nothing about this disease with an average age of onset of 65. I only understood that after my hair had fallen out and my teeth had grown loose, something very bad would happen to me. It was like seeing a roadside sign warning of a deep pit 100 meters ahead and knowing that there was no other path to take. The twists and turns that you'd have to negotiate along the way would not be lessened one whit by the knowledge. Fate is fair, my mother always said. I believed her. She gave me a happy childhood that seemed like it would never end. They say that a day feels like a year to children because the total amount of time stored in their memory is so short that the experience of a day is a large proportion of the whole. But as they grow older, each day's worth of stimuli make up a smaller and smaller portion of their memories. And so time begins to fly like a loosed arrow. And so begins the lament for wasted years. In my mind, there was always a marker for when I'd be 65. Almost pathologically, I entangled myself in thoughts of the 60 years or 21,915 days in between. I was like a marathon runner who knew that he would fall right before the end, but who was nonetheless compelled to move forward. Sometimes I wished the pit were placed closer to the starting line. You will never understand that feeling. No one does. We met again at another hospital as we were getting our physical examination right before enrolling in college. There really were things in this world that transcended rationality and time. Ten years had passed, but the two of us recognized each other at first sight, as though it was fated to be. I gazed at her unchanged chestnut hair and pale skin and could only laugh. She was so beautiful that my heart skipped a beat. It was a crazy, unforgettable time. Like all young people, we loved each other and tortured each other. Every time, as we reached a passionate climax, Lida would ask me, Do you think we'll be married someday? I always stayed silent or changed the subject. I couldn't let her know how much I wanted to be with her. I couldn't tie her to a ticking time bomb. The torture lasted for four years, almost entirely negating whatever joy that majoring in philosophy brought me. On the day of the graduation ceremony, dressed in her academic gown, she walked in front of me with an unusually serious expression. I'm going to ask you one more time. Do you think we'll be married someday? I knew that she was facing a choice. 
to apply to study abroad or to stay here. It appeared that her decision would be based on my answer. Is fate really fair? I screamed in my heart, but I struggled to maintain a calm exterior. I took a deep breath, closed my eyes, and shook my head. I was prepared for anything. She could hit me, curse me, even turn away without another word and disappear from my life from that moment on, even if I would regret it for the rest of my time in the world. I was absolutely certain that it was for her benefit. I opened my eyes. A medical report was in front of my face, almost touching my nose. Is it because of this? She asked in a trembling voice. It was the results from the genetic test I had done when I was five. But how could Lida have it? I went to your home and had a long talk with your mother. Tears fell from her eyes. I gritted my teeth. Can you imagine waking up one day to find me looking at you but not recognizing you? Can you imagine all my memories of you gone? I love you, but I cannot hurt you. Another medical report appeared before my eyes. Wang Xiaochu, now do you think we're even? She almost screamed. I was stunned. Reading the familiar English acronyms and numbers on the report, I realized that she was just like me. She had the same rare genetic defect. Fate was indeed fair, but not in ways you could have imagined. All I could do then was to embrace her and kiss her. From that day forward, two ticking time bombs were tied together. We even joked, made bets about whose brain would go wrong first. We promised each other that whoever was healthy would then take the insurance proceeds to help the other one accomplish his or her lifelong dream. We wrote our dreams on slips of paper, sealed them in a bottle, and buried it inside a planter. We thought we still had so much time. We never said goodbye to each other, not even goodnight. But life was filled with disconnected events with their own probabilities. We forgot that each day together could have been our last.